Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they are definitely not experts on, other than a handful. My name's Neil, I'm joined by friendly Geordies, Jordan Shanks, the labour faggot. As always, and pleasure Neil. Good to see you, as always. <laughs> yep. Uh, we have subscriptions available, neilcolhacker.com slash podcasts, all Revenue from the subscriptions goes straight to the Life You Can Save charity. So we would really appreciate your donations there. We have questions that we can answer for $10 a month, and we have podcast topics that we will cover for $30 a month. But Jordan, how are you today? Pretty good. Uh, Just also need to mention before we start again, that is a really good charity. You did your homework with that, Neil. Uh, look, it, it doesn't get much better than that. They've done all the hard work for you and figured out how they can make that dollar travel the furthest. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I explained it on the last podcast or the podcast before, but essentially the concept is it's effective altruism and you're getting the most altruism for your buck, quite literally. So for every $2, you can, uh, they, they, there's, there's one charity that's part of their collection that organizes malaria nets for children in Africa, which drastically reduces their chance of malaria and their chance of death. And compare that to other Western charities where, say, 200 to $2,000 and then you start making a difference. For this one, every quite literally every dollar you spend makes a difference. Yeah. Plus, you get us to answer a question as well. And... Uh, you know, like uh, I'm sure you could probably just put it in the comments and every now and then it'll just subconsciously trigger us anyway. That's probably the cheat code to this. That's like in Pokemon where you just went up and down that island and got that misnomer mm. Pokemon. Mm. <laughs> yeah, if, because we've talked about our triggers on this pod. So if they're really effective, yeah. they'd be able to get to it. <laughs> no, they know the cheats. They know what they're we've doing. We've given them all out. I'd be very interested to see if someone can actually write the most triggering comment, but it has to be mutually for both of us. Yeah, do that. That's a really good way of, uh, uh, you know, encouraging engagement in this podcast. <laughs> it really is yeah, triggerous. Because <laughs> I know you've 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 uh, shared that uh, when you're accused of lying, that's a big trigger for you. Yeah, hate that. I've uh, shared. I actually shared on the last Sex Sales podcast when I'm similarly, if I'm accused of lying, but if I'm just a tr- if if any sort of malicious. Uh, intent is attributed to me when I know that it is not malicious, that's when I I can't handle that. Yeah, it's really weird. So reading into someone's intentions is, there's nothing more, maybe someone taking food off your plate, that's really fucking annoying. No, but also someone being like, you that. did this because of this. You're just yeah. like, fuck you, you're not me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't read my mind. Okay, at the very least, say- Do it well. Exactly, exactly. If you're going to read my mind, at least be effective, but- at the very least, have the emotional intelligence to say, hey, what you're saying or what you're doing comes across this way. And then mm. I'm willing to engage. I'm mm. willing to engage. Mm. So if I, if I said to you, it sounds like you're lying, I would assume you'd at least, you'd probably still get triggered, but you'd at least be willing to engage with someone there. But, yes. but if you say, you are lying, I mean, that's very egotistical, first of all. You don't know what that person is actually going, have got, what thoughts they've got going on in their mind. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, no, actually, I'm with, I'm with you there. You've actually uh, made my trigger more specific. I think it's just that usually I'm accused of lying because I'm in the realm of politics, but it's just anything where I honestly think it could be anything. You left the toilet seat up to spite me. 
that I remember that one from my mum to this day. It's like that. Mm. It's really like, it mm-hmm. was just like, why? No, yeah, yeah, why, yeah. why are you making a big thing out of this? Once I remember a similar childhood incident where I, uh, I put a, a dartboard on top of something, on, on whiteout or something, and the whiteout spilt. And she kept accusing me, you were trying to hide your mess. You were trying to hide that you spilt the whiteout. Oh, she kept saying, no. Oh, no, it was a genuine accident. No. Damn it, mum. I don't know how that is manifested that in me. my current treatment of women. <laughs> <laughs> don't disrespect me. You know what? That's fair enough. I, I would be disrespecting me so much I'd be in Lithgow jail if that happened to me. That, that Yeah, I'm done well, well <laughs> considering my upbringing. Like, oh, yes. It's so annoying. <laughs> I'm a feminist hero. When you, when you, you really did overcome yeah. adversity with that. That's that's so annoying to me. I wasn't there. Yeah. I don't know how you got away with that. Yeah. I think yeah. you should bring that up with your mum. <laughs> but anyway, we should anyway. get on this question. Yeah. But like, so we're going to start. We're going to start this podcast with a question. We're going to then talk about the seven deadly sins, which I'm keen to dive into. All right. So this one is from Adam. Hey guys. Huge fan of the pod. Neil, I feel like your moderator skills have gone through the roof through interviewing two very different people in Jordan and Eliza. Keep asking questions. It's your biggest strength as it's one thing to just ask a question. You seem to ask valid questions. Thank you. I well, like I'll, I'll give Neil this, actually. He's always been good at that. I've known the man for years. He's just – you you had a natural strength there in at the beginning, but oh, continue. I like to think I have a curious mind. <laughs> Jordan, keep taking on corrupt governments and keep fracturing once stable alliances within the coalition. It feels like... like Neil, you ask good questions, Jordan. You are, you are <laughs> taking down the government. government. But you know what I was thinking just then? I was just like, what, so he gets something personally and I have to do something externally to get props? <laughs> I don't know, I'd take your... I think your compliment's a little bit bigger. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. <laughs> uh, it feels like things are swinging. Maybe I'm just... Uh, dis- disillusional, I certainly feel more woke, in brackets, you in politics. <laughs> Jordan, you have said in the past that sport distracts society from real issues with the world, going way back to ancient Rome and forward to the AFL, NRL and cricket with modern Australia. My question to you guys is, is that such a bad thing if you understand sport's original purpose and how you use it as a vice? Some context. Before 2020, I wasn't into politics and self-help. But after the bushfires, I saw Geordie's show supporting the Animal Rescue Collective at Pato RSL. And from there, I was immersed between COVID and also the self-help videos uh, through Jordan's other channel, as well as this podcast. Somehow, with the knowledge that sport is a distraction, I enjoyed watching my beloved Rabbitohs in the NRL. No, I don't like him anymore. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no, nah, Rabbitohs are okay. I'm a, I'm a I thought everyone was okay Everyone's, with the Rabbitohs. Yeah, yeah. they're, the, they're the historical team. They're the... Um, Centenary. To, they're, they're the one team that's been there from the beginning, with a few years in the middle there where they weren't. But uh, <laughs> Rabbitohs in the NRL, they're, they're a big favourite this year. Yeah. In fact, I'd, I'd, I think they are the favourite. Um, I believe that in a world that doesn't stop and can be overwhelming, sometimes watching sport can be a healthy thing, so long as you know that it's a distraction. Sometimes those distractions help to reset your mind from all the water corruption, political affairs and grants, rorts, happening. In a year where I was more aware than ever that sports are meant to distract me, I found it more enjoyable and also found myself more productive. I'd love to hear the two of you's thoughts from Adam. Thanks, Adam. 
Damn. That's a good one. That's a big one. I mean, just off the top of the bat there, I'd, I'd say my take on sports is that it's a healthy outlet for tribalism mm. because otherwise who knows if uh, the inherent our inherent tribalistic nature could manifest in much uglier ways, which if anything, you can almost see that now in, in politics and on social media, whereas at least through sport, our uh, urge for tribalism manifests in organized, healthy um, ways that aren't violent. And there are definitely negative consequences of that. I People can take it to an extreme, become obsessed, and then become distracted from very serious issues, as Adam mentioned. But I think if it is a vice, if it's something you enjoy leisurely, uh, also as an outlet for some... Uh, well, often poorer and working class people to to have a hobby and to have something to strive for as opposed to crime. So many people, sporters, save their life. So I think I tend to agree with him. I think ultimately it's a it's a good thing. But what's your take on it? I don't know the the the, the exact his, history and the you know the machinations of the power brokers that may have uh, initiated organized sport in Western society. Yeah, because I think that's definitely true. I see people when they're watching sport, and I like the way that this guy's looking at it as well because uh, I think that that's – you do need – something I talk about on Self-Help Channel, which is passive and active activities. You want to be – really defining what you're doing and if what you are doing is moving you towards your goals that is an active activity if you are sitting on your ass watching television that is a passive activity now having said that human beings do need that sort of low level time to kind of exactly what he is saying reset and if sports your thing sports your thing uh to elaborate on what he's saying though you, you know the old phrase in ancient rome bread and games no, I haven't heard that. It was designed purely in ancient Rome. Well, they basically the elite classes realized because they owned 90% of Italy and most of the empire was divvied out into contracts into the really, really wealthy uh, elite in Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much everybody else had really shit lives. I mean, they had a doll, but their doll was bread. It was- yeah. I think a really good way of looking at ancient Rome is it was pretty much just Calcutta, but without electricity. So it would have been way fucking worse. Sure. You know? <laughs> the phrase sport is the opiate of the masses. Does that come from ancient Rome or was that? No, I think that was introduced? Marx, but he's okay. identifying the same thing, which is that that same thing that you're talking about of it taps into tribalism and exercises it in a healthy way. This is the whole thing about propaganda, a really good saying from it. And I think that it was Lippmann that said it, but I could be wrong, was that the best propaganda is the propaganda that's true in that sport does tap into that. People enjoy doing it. It is a healthy exercise for you to do. Hmm. Uh, It's got all of that going for it. What they started to do was just turn it into the biggest spectacle on earth at Mm. the time, which was the Colosseum, right? Or the the Hippodrome where they'd have 
chariot races that'd be paid a billion dollars a year. And the reason that they were paid so much is because they were able to grab the attention of the masses and they realized that when they started putting in sport, A, people became less politically active, B, they were much more passive because you're tapping into that, exactly what you're saying, that feeling of, uh, you know, my team us winning. and them, my team kind of thing, but yep. like the real us and them throughout society that, you know, to Marx's credit, he did identify really is just the ruling class and then everybody else. And so what the ruling class has done throughout all of history is try and distract everyone's attention from that. Fast forward to the uh, modern propaganda model, Edward Bernays and Walter Lippmann realized what we should be doing in the mainstream media is categorizing uh, press into two, uh, sorry, like media into two different things, right? So there's the 80% for the masses, mm -hmm. and then there's the 20% for the middle class, and that 20% of the middle class is the news, and that is designed to keep people who use their brains for a living on the same track, so they keep pushing the buttons. But the 80% who could just come up and revolt because their living conditions are shit or whatever, you just distract them with things like sport and fashion. So they were telling mm -hmm. media conglomerates at the time, make sure that you put a lot of sport and fashion into the newspapers. Mm. Make sure you put a lot into the radio. Because I was just about to bring up the concept of celebrity and pop culture that could also be uh, have the exact same effect. A distraction Which is what has evolved. Yes. And now almost you see the synthesis between politics and celebrity with Donald Trump and social media. Who was a distraction. And then really? he's <laughs> built a bridge, <laughs> which ironically enough has made people more politically engaged. But you just realize how stupid they are. But the thing is, yes, it's made them more politically engaged technically because they're watching a reality star in the White House. But let's be perfectly clear about that. He was a reality star in the White House. Like, he yeah, really yeah, wasn't yeah. governing. Yes. The people that were behind the scenes doing the governing, they liked the fact that he was just constantly, like, driving attention. Yeah. Are those elites invested in there being more conversation about the culture wars? Because those aren't... Those are the culture war issues are issues that can be a distraction from the more economic issues that could usurp some degree of power from the elite ruling class. Yes, in fact, culture wars all throughout history, but particularly now, I think we're living in a time where this is just being like it's the distraction, mm -hmm. but like th that, uh, is is like, yeah, a it's it's a massive distraction. But it's like it's it's like the version now of McCarthyism, like accusing someone of being a communist in the fifties, accusing someone of being a witch in the sixteen hundreds. It's a very good way of silencing dissent yeah. by just pointing the racist bone at someone or whatever, you know. And, and then that makes them disappear. When we use the term ruling class or the elites, is there some sort of grey area there? You know, I, I, I'm assuming people who are billionaires are part of the quote-unquote ruling class and, and the elites controlling society. What about someone who has a net worth of 10 million, say? What about someone there in the maybe not the top 0.1%, but the top 1%, or even then you start to get to the top 2 or 3% of wealth holders in Western society? At what point do you actually become part of this ruling class, or is it just an effective moniker to... Um, to uh, drum up political support for 
working class causes. It's not entirely accurate. In fact, the reality of this situation is much more stark than that. I can't remember the exact figures and I can't remember the exact department, but I remember reading a while ago that there was a study conducted by, I think, like the US Department of Commerce Mm -hmm. and they were looking into political decisions. You know what they discovered? Something like 80, it's always 80%, it could have been 90% even, but like 80 to 90% of the population in the US, which would mean that it is pretty much reflective throughout the Western world, their wishes have zero impact on policy. None. 90% of the population is systematically, thoroughly, completely ignored. Then you get to the 10% and then like, I can't remember the exact stats, but it was fuck all. It was like, you know, two, 5% of what they want is actually listened to. Then you get to not the 1%, but like the 0.0001%. And you just see that like 99% of decisions are made in their interest. Okay. So, so there's a direct reflection. Exponential graph of influence. Because I think that the thing that... What people kind of need to, I, I don't like using the word elite because it's kind of just in vogue at the moment, but I, I think the most accurate term for it is oligarchy. This is exactly what they were talking about in 1984 as well, is just all throughout history, as soon as there's been organized society, there has been exactly how George Orwell was describing it, right? There's the proles, which is short for proletariat, which is just the masses. Then there's the outer party, which is the middle class. And then there's the inner party. And the inner party is just fuck all of the population. But the inner party is the oligarchy. The The way that you control a massive society is you have like a group of, let's say, I don't know, just roughly 50 to 1,000 people, regardless of how big it is, just divvying up that society and kind of governing it in their own interests. Mm. You do need a small group, and it's actually even reflected in chimpanzee societies. Ones that create an oligarchy are able to control and expand how big the chimp empire gets. The scary thought about that is if the propaganda model is effective (coughs) and you are part of that 80% or even that 10% with minimal influence, then you've been influenced by the idea that you are special and you have freedom and you have worth and significance so as soon as you hear theories like that you immediately think no this person's just selfish this person's just resentful but you're not consciously aware if that propaganda has been effective on you mm. so that's a very scary thought it is a very done. scary I thought even, I, I don't want to comment on politics <clears throat> i don't know no but it's true that is what scary. i've been influenced by well, neither do I. Well, this is that's actually what he's probably talking about with that show. Like a big part of that show was just me realizing like, fuck, everything that I know could be a lie and everything that everyone knows could be a lie yeah. and no one would know. You wouldn't be aware of that. Because it's just been going for so long. But like- You'd be committed to the lie. You would think it was the reality. Yeah. And that's why like I'm fascinated at the moment and am building a stand-up show around Julius Caesar because he was part of that elite group. Like, he was an aristocrat in Rome. Uh And then he realised, I think, through his service in the military, no, everyone's getting really fucked over except my friends. And so he decided to try and do something about it. But men like that are really the exception throughout history. There's very few of them. That's what kind of why I'm fascinated by him. Yeah. Any final comments on sports specifically before we move forward with the seven deadly sins? I think he's got it right. That guy knows exactly how it's supposed to be, which is that 
you watch it, you understand that it's a distraction, you do not become part of the distraction because it's it's designed to put things in patterns. Like I see this all the time when people fucking say to me at, after an election or something like that. Like this is how deep it gets when they say, your team lost, get over it. But it's like, dude, political parties are not fucking sports teams. But the reason that people think like that is because they've been conditioned through the propaganda model by Edward Bernays to see everything like it's fucking sport, which is why when you listen to Triple M radio now, like it, everything is just like health insurance is like sport. I mean, like footy. Um, get, getting a car is like footy. Everything on fucking planet Earth is like footy. They're, they're tr- they're, it's, it's a conditioned response. <laughs> yeah, that's Triple M. <laughs> is it, <laughs> no, isn't it? If I was satirizing Triple M, that's what I'd do, but that's the reality. That is real, yeah. yeah. It's Triple M is one of those rare things again, that's just beyond parody. For some reason, I prefer, of, of the commercial radio stations, I definitely prefer Triple M to many yeah, of the others. It's self-aware, dude. It is. It's very self-aware. They know they're the blokey station. Yeah. And they go with and it. And they make no apologies for it. Exactly. I, I, I always, I remember this one instance when I was at Game 2 2018, New South Wales versus Queensland, State of Origin. New South Wales haven't won... Well, they won in 2014, but they had won one of the last 10 years. It was a big, big moment. And I was in one of the VIP stands because I'd done some uh, videos for the NRL. New South Wales won. The crowd was elated. They, they, were, they were very happy. And all these people around, around me started shaking my hand, started shaking each other's hands saying, well done, we did it. <laughs> Patting each other on the back. <laughs> Truly emotional. We didn't do shit, man. The players did it. We we sat here, drank beer. <sighs> but that's what happens when a team wins the footy grand final. You see the supporters. They're, they're rabid. They're fervent. Did you have a tear in your eye? I probably was. Emo- I don't think I had a tear in Swept my eye. Swept up in the emotion. Look, if the Dragons win the premiership, I would probably cry. cry. But... <laughs> That's not, that's not going to happen for a very long time. Uh, New South Wales, not as much. Uh, I was swept up in the emotion for sure. I was only human then when everyone around you is ecstatic. You're going to... Sporting events definitely do that. They're yeah. really good at capturing emotion. <clears throat> like yeah, the vibe in Sydney during the of... 2000 Olympics, mm. I've never felt anything like that before. Mm. What's well, modern day war. Yes. Our yes. tribe won. But you want to talk about the the seven deadly sins. Yeah, speaking of propaganda, this actually kind of goes into the Hollywood narrative. But as we slowly transition into a Christian podcast. Wouldn't that be amazing? Hope with Jordan and Neil. (laughs) I'd feel really happy about my life if that was the case. If we were on Hope FM in the morning, I'd really, I don't think I'd have a bad day. Every every subject that I've ever heard them talk about is like, I just want to talk about gratitude again. Well, you're going to feel happy. <laughs> you're in a good place. To be fair, it's probably a lot more. It's probably better for the soul to listen to Hope FM than it is to listen to this. The Edge 96. Oh, I mean, yeah, come on. How many times can you Guardian talk about Kim broke up. <laughs> Not that I'm knocking them. I, I do like how they're the and, cheap Only a black man Kyle can handle an ass like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you can't say that. Why not? Well, are they get Mikey and Emma. Is that still who it is? I, I actually still. like them. Yeah, me too. Well, I mean, they're good. Two years ago, that was them, but I don't know now. But they were yeah, funny. They're, they're budget Kyle and Jackie O. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with them. They're great. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm a fan. Ish. Like, I'll listen yeah, to them yeah, yeah. in the ad breaks for Kyle and Jackie O. But still, second place is good. Um, yeah, pretty much. Uh, all right, all right. Let me ask you this first. Mm. Have you seen the movie 1408? No. Watch it. What's it about? I can't believe it. I guess that that would be my version of watching sport. I do like watching Stephen King movies, even mm. though some of them are genius, but a lot of them aren't. And I think 1408 is a sleeper banger. It's based on a short story by Stephen King of this guy that goes around and reviews haunted motels for a living. He's a mm-hmm. writer that just writes about the scariest places in America and he just every single one of them that he goes to, he just thinks is bullshit. Then he finds out about this one hotel room and the hotel manager refuses to let him in. So, he gets a lawyer to force him to go in. He goes in there. I don't know how much I can give away with spoiling it, but I'll just say that, like, it's really fucking haunted. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's actually quite a scary film. Okay. Um. And I remember watching it when it first came out, maybe when I was 15. I might have been a bit older. And I also remember that everybody at the time was kind of like, yeah, it's a good film. It's just one of those ones that no one's going to say it's bad, but people just go on with their lives. It's not fucking interstellar. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's a great film. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that confirms. Um, but like, I actually do think after watching 1408, hang on, I can't hear myself. There you go. Yeah. After watching 1408, it's a lot deeper than what I thought it was. Now, obviously there's, when it comes to, uh, the US, they're always trying to pump in. There's so many of those storylines. They're kind of tried at this point of the guy that doesn't believe in God and then a miracle happens and he does. And he's all cynical and atheist and at the end he gets it. Which first off, <laughs> fine, because like I do hate cynical atheists. But um, Why isn't there ever a re- reverse of that? A really positive Christian who then becomes <laughs> a hunty atheist. <laughs> <laughs> well, just the opposite of 1408. He just yeah, goes yeah. in there and be like, hey, this isn't haunted. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> yeah, he realizes the science which went behind all the <laughs> apparently haunted behavior and comes out, <laughs> divorces his wife, <laughs> <laughs> turns gay. <laughs> yeah, no, most of it is just him write. just watching YouTube, old YouTube clips of Christopher yep. Hitchens. That's most of the movie. <laughs> Start smoking, drinking. (laughs) That is such a trait of all Stephen King films. It's like a former alcoholic that gave up and has like one cigarette that, you know, he never smokes. But at some point in the movie, it becomes very, very convenient. Mm. That's his classic and also tortured writer. It is him. And I like the fact that every single one of his characters is him. It's an interesting character to have. A cynical writer that has a lot of vices. Anyway. Without giving away too much of the the story, uh, what happens? And also, like, dude, John Cusack, Samuel L. Jackson, what a combo! But they're pretty much the only characters in it. But when he's in the room, things progressively get worse. 
they become more and more tortured, more and more sinister as the movie progresses. And then I was reading an analysis of it and it was saying, and there's even reference to it in the film, that it's in relation to Dante's Inferno, you know, like the seven layers of hell and mm. each layer is... I don't know a lot about Christianity in general. Neither do I. Okay. Well, I didn't, I didn't even know what that is. Dante's do, do you know Dante's Inferno? No. It's, it's a fucking epic story. I think you should also read that as well because okay. it's, it's just sick. It's, it's like I went back and reread it. It's not that long, but it's just this character, Dante, that gets guided through hell. Yep. And that each layer of hell is for each layer of sinners. So the first layer is for uh people that weren't faithful in their relationship or whatever okay and so that that layer is just very windy that's all that happens there that's not that bad it's not that bad <laughs> but then you get down to like the fifth it's layer the coast yeah <laughs> you get down to the fifth layer and, and that's worth cheating what just I'll, being windy I'll for the cheat rest of your life to have a bit of wind for eternity <laughs> I'd prefer a different <laughs> I would prefer a different one to that. I hate wind. I would much you can prefer put to... up with it. I wouldn't call that hell. How windy Permanently very windy. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> Do you have a house? No. No, you just always you just re- go like for the rest of Ooh, eternity. Alright, yeah, maybe okay, maybe that's not worth <laughs> cheating then. <laughs> Isn't that fucked that that's the first layer of hell? Wind. Like that's the least amount of punishment there is. You just being blown around so that you can't even touch the ground for all eternity. It could be fun for a while. I know, but it's just be like being in that like sky indoor skydiving thing. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you want to bowl or something. Yeah. So what are the next levels? And then there's all the other ones that they have. I can't remember which ones for which layers, but I just remember one of them was, say, Wrath. And then in Wrath, it's you're in a layer that is just in this swamp and everyone is constantly trying to drag you down. Everyone there is Mm. trying to drag each other down because it represents Wrath of just like, you know, nobody wins in that scenario. So everyone is getting constantly drowned. Mm-hmm. And then it gets to the final layer and then it's Satan himself. Actually, he's like a three-headed thing eating. Uh, fuck, I can't remember who now. Judas and Brutus and someone else throughout history. Just people that have betrayed people, like thoroughly sure. betrayed people. They're the, that's the last layer, right? And Can, can you uh, go through what the seven deadly sins actually are? So there's adultery... Is gl- lust, wrath. lust. Okay, lust. So it's a little is more general. Gluttony. There's gluttony. Gluttony's one of them. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's theft. No. Uh, greed. Yeah. Wrath. Slothfulness. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Fuck! I can't remember the others now. You want me to? Want me to look it up? Yeah, let's look it up because okay. it actually will be really important to the rest of this. Um, Sorry to the Christians listening. Yeah, you'd be so pissed off at that. (laughs) Gluttony lust. Five-year-old Sunday school learning right here. (laughs) Gluttony, greed. Oh, sorry. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, pride. That's it. Envy and pride. Those are the other two. Um, And I think that's Dante's Inferno there. No, Tower of Babel. Uh, Yeah, so... 
what happens in 1408 is it's kind of just like in that room for all of his sins, he is punished. He's kind of just like it's it's a modern parable for what happens to Dante. So he goes through yeah, all okay, of the so layers. Seven haunted motels are there? No, no, no. It's like one motel room, but in that oh, motel right, room, right. the environment and the stimulus that happens to him just gets worse and worse. So Stephen King is a Christian, is he? I don't know. I think I assume he is. Yes. Um. No, he definitely is. Actually, yeah. I read his biography. Yeah. Okay. And, but I think that like you know, for the first time in my life, I always paid lip service. To Christianity and saying that I do understand why Islam or Hinduism uh, had such a profound impact, particularly you know a thousand years ago, because it was kind of a guide to life mm. when there was no reading. Pretty much, there was just priests that could read. Barely anyone could fucking read, which meant there were no books, meaning that it was the only self help there was. But it made me realize how much self-help has changed since then. Because you go into an airport now and every single one of them is like, be a boss bitch at work. Kick ass in real estate. How to take okay. life and fucking choke it. Like- <laughs> be a boss bitch. <laughs> it's so annoying, isn't it? Like, And they all have swear words in them yeah. now. It's, it's so How- 2020s. Team success. Off. Yeah, I hate the titles now. Like it, it, it's that type peaked in the eighties. Yeah. yeah, and it's clearly catered to people who are deeply insecure, who are who are drawn to the idea of winning. Yes, it's all rather about than winning. bettering yourself. No, you can win with this. Yeah, so get the edge. But do you do you really do you, do you see religion as just an archaic form of self help? I used to think of it as an archaic form of self-help. You know what I see it now as? It's more of a... I would see it as much more all-encompassing than that. It's yeah. an entire worldview. Yes. Yes, it is. Whereas self-help is uh, specific ideas and uh, behaviors that you can implement to feel better about yourself and be better and succeed in a modern context. But that's your understanding of it, and that's my understanding of it because of the time that we live in. Because the time that we live in is the time... That fucking the Bible, sure. and I'm assuming that Islam and all the other religions are warning about, which is a time that is fucking godless. Like, and so in that environment, okay. it's just about like how to fucking get on top of everybody else and fucking succeed and kick ass yourself. And like, so there, it's, all- it's the embodiment of those seven deadly sins. Is that what you're saying? That modern self help actually epitomizes sinful behavior. It's not that self help epitomizes sinful behavior, but it's trying to cut through in a society that is sinful. That's what I think. And you know what I've actually like started to realize because I- Big call. Yeah. I'm calling it. Yeah. I- You converting? I'm almost (laughs) there, man. Really? I'm not going to go to church every Sunday, (laughs) but like at at least this, I understand the wisdom in Christianity now. I do actually see the light. You know what the difference is? It was like, I think I've talked about, I talk about him a lot on the other podcasts. I, I, I nicknamed him Dome Kang because he's, he, he went fucking mental because of all the drugs that he took and still is today. Is he, was he on your former podcast? For a little bit, actually, yeah. And 
there is some lost episodes that I'm sure you can find online that do have him on there. And he is seriously trying to explain to you why the earth is flat. Like he's, he's yeah, not joking okay. at all. Right. Like, and, and this was before the flat earth thing was even a meme. He was into that conspiracy world before any of that. Then one day he picked up Christianity. Now, he became an extremely boring man. Before that, he was the most exciting man I've ever been around. Yeah. He was a completely destructive being. He was, as Jordan Peterson would say, total chaos. That man was nothing but chaos. He was fun, but like every time you hung out with him afterwards, it was just like, I have a hangover and I didn't drink. You know, like you could feel him leeching off of you. Um, uh-huh. Then he turned to Christianity. And a lot of his other conspiracy nut drugo friends did turn to Christianity as well. And then I started to think about why all these people in prison turned to Islam and Christianity. You know what I think it is? It's because Christianity and Islam actually say you shouldn't do this. All fucking modern self-help is like, this is how you get ahead. This is how you kick ass. There's nothing there that's just saying like, hey, you know why you feel bad inside? It's because you're a bad person. (laughs) Nothing says that anymore. Nothing is trying to like fucking humble you. Nothing. And Christianity, like all of its teachings are about, you know, I I suppose a a greater message of just uh, respecting God is kind of, respecting natural forces and and not be, and all of the sins are yeah. around those seven deadly sins and when i think about those seven deadly sins they're all just extensions of narcissism i got like the most obvious one is like pride but you know gluttony for instance gluttony i used to think meant just overeating but it's overconsumption of anything it's mm. buying heaps of expensive goods it's taking heaps of drugs it's drinking a lot Mm. That's gluttony. Uh, lust. Lust is another is is just another form of narcissism. Uh, like wrath, wrath, and and like I don't know. Like when I started looking at the seven deadly sins, I just thought this is. I suppose it's just because I'm like getting into the pattern of things, but like you know how I'm always just talking about books like Why Him, Why Her, or something. Yeah, that are just constantly categorizing things. I think that that's what's really impressive about the seven deadly sins because I think that it's just this guide of like, what's your, as we were talking before, vice? What's the thing that fucking gets you going Mm -hmm. and like uh, awakens your inner demons? Yeah. Wow, there's a lot there, man. There's Um, a lot there, isn't there? do, Do you think something to offer a different perspective on maybe why people who are at quote-unquote, lowest in their life, people in prison or people who are addicted to drugs turn to religion, where religion is different from self-help as well is it says you have intrinsic value as a human being. Regardless of what you have done, you are forgiven as long as you accept these ideas. Self-help doesn't do that. It says you need to do this and then you will become successful. So it still places an emphasis on success equaling significance and value whereas religion says once you read this but once you become a christian or, or a muslim and you walk into the mosque or the church no one who is richer than you is better than you no one who is better looking than you is better than you you are all valid equal you all have value you are all loved that's a big one no matter what you've done you are forgiven you are loved that, that 
doesn't necessarily absolve you of all guilt entirely, but it absolves you of guilt in that moment. And that's very powerful. It is. It's it's just more holistic. And nothing in the in the secular world really does that because well, realistically and pragmatically, we need to enact laws and we need to have justice and people do need to be punished if they've committed a crime and they may need to be socially punished if well, whether they've committed these sins, if they've if they've uh enacted a behavior that we deem ethically unacceptable. But more often than not, people aren't necessarily acting rationally, nor are they even acting consciously. Who knows? We, we don't really have free will. So even though it's an abstract idea, when there is an all-powerful entity saying, I still love you, I know you've done this thing that's horrific, you've committed a crime or you're addicted to drugs and that may be because you've got pain that you're dealing with, you are still loved and you are forgiven. I think that is extremely powerful. And as atheists or as secularists or as people who are non-believers, we need to be better at implementing that moral idea into our worldview and our ideologies. Or maybe we can't do that and there's actually a need for religion for people who are at the lowest of the low. But it's like, I think they're all, now that you're mentioning it, these are all elements that modern society is missing. Oh, yeah. It's missing the that. acceptance. It's missing the tolerance. Mm. It's it's missing the like, no, you can actually fuck up and go too far. Yeah. Like all of those things well, just, they're non-existent now. Many people would, would say that modern identity politics or wokeism, whatever you want to call it, modern anti-racism is essentially a new religion because there's a, well, you could, it gives people a sense of self-actualization. It gives them purpose. It gives them meaning and it gives them a cause. See, this is the thing where it's like, what's the difference between religion and a cult? And Well, I don't think, I mean, that's very hard to define it's because so religions hard to define. are in, in many ways successful cults. But yeah. then what is a cult? How do you define it? You can get into all sorts of semantics about that. I think that if you're going to use the word cult, maybe it's just a dirty religion, one that just takes. Whereas like sure, to me sure. now I fully understand, like I swear to God, I, I, I never understood why religion was so appealing to sinners, but I get it now. Religion can, like any other ideology, be very bastardized though and become a cult. I mean, you have all those prosperity preachers in America who preach the gospel and then they fly around in their multi-million dollar jets and yeah, many people would even say there are, there is huge, I don't know this for a, a verifiable fact, but with certain churches in Australia, there's huge amounts of corruption. I know in some of those more, well, some of the churches Scott Morrison frequents, there's a emphasis on... Yeah, the the luxurious nature of the church. I've heard you go in there. There's flat screen TVs everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know as a as a neutral observer, this doesn't seem to be embodying the message of Christ. Yes, but look, each to their own. <laughs> 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 and uh, 
religion can definitely be bastardized and become a cult. In the same way, I think self-help, there is genuine uh, altruistic and pure self-help, but it's so easy to become nefarious and and selfish for the purveyor of those ideas. It's just not as... It's really... Yeah, I would never... Look, I, I like, don't as, think as self-help as, is the same as religion. But it's kind of like, as soon as something starts moving into the world of a story, when it starts moving into an ideology, anything can be bastardized. I think, like, if, if you're just going into those sort of dog behaviors, like, if you smile, you're going to feel happy. You can still bastardize it, but it's harder to do that. So I do understand that that is definitely a problem with religion that, you know, you could you could argue that. But it was just, to me, because I never grew up in a religious household, I never understood the appeal, why that's been around for so long. And having that switched in my head that it's really offering something that is, like, like, it's, it's, I guess an imperfect antidote to a society that is completely devoid of values. <laughs> and like yeah, they yeah, always yeah, yeah, like yeah. one of the okay. big fucking things in Christianity that I think it's the wisest thing that's ever said. I talk about it all the time, but like the love of money is the root of all evil. And like the fact that there is that God mammon in the Bible that is just the worship of money. It's riddled with all of these, these, you know, like stories and paradigms and things just being like, don't make money your God. That's what turns you into an evil person. And uh-huh. like that, seven deadly sins. I swear to God, those seven deadly sins are just saying like, here's how you're being a narcissistic cunt. Identify which ones those are and try and eliminate it. Yeah. I think that's what they're yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, with yeah, sins. Yeah, yeah, I mean, in... The modern context, it depends. It's a lot of those sins can be interpreted in different ways, and there can be subjective ideas about, say, something like pride. Uh, are you never allowed to be proud? I mean, where do you draw the line there? Because then you almost go into another form of narcissism, which is just just this self-flagellating self-hatred. I'm a piece of shit. I'm terrible. Everyone hates me. Everyone's out to get me. That's almost a form of narcissism to me. And it is also, in a way, the antithesis to... I don't know if it's the antithesis to pride, but... Okay, how do you define pride? Well, personally, what I think they're talking about there is the most apparent version of narcissism. Um... And it's just like, you know, showboating, cockiness. Arrogance. Arrogance. Like all of these would be subcategories of pride. But I'll tell you something. For instance, recently I just interviewed Bill Shorten. And I've got to say, it's exactly what everyone says about him. When he's on camera, he's terrible. In person, he like... He etches himself in your mind, and in, in what way? Where how, and how does this? Like, he's just where, like, is he prideful? No, it's yeah. like this is the thing. 
I think that pride actually would really help you if you're running for prime minister. If you're an arrogant cunt, this is what I noticed. Bill Shorten, when you're talking about him, he is trying to not take credit for everything. This is the guy that organized the Beaconsfield Mining Rescue, where they rescued two miners that were trapped in, under there for nine days. When you ask him about it, he's just like, it wasn't me. There was like a bunch of other people that were doing things. Like yeah. I was happy to be a part of it. Like he has those kind, And like, you can actually, like every time you ever talk about him or like say you did this or anything, he's like, you can see him actually recoil in his chair. It's not an act that he's putting on. He actually doesn't like taking credit for things. Well, there's a difference between arrogance and confidence. And I think people appreciate confidence when it's genuine and authentic and internal. And that manifests itself in a comfortable person. Whereas arrogance is actually an affront for insecurity, I think. You're trying to prove something. You're trying to show something. You're trying to compensate for something that you are internally lacking. Yes, but... It looks good on camera. It, it can. It can. I, I think arrogance can also be picked up by the general populace and, and, and then be uh, cut down, especially in Australia. True. But uh, confidence looks great on camera. But I don't think that because I think that Bill Shorten was one of the most confident people I've ever met. He was also one of the most generous people I've ever met. You, you're in the same room as him and... He's the guy that was almost fucking prime minister. Every other politician that I've ever met, rightfully so, they're very busy, important people. They, they can't wait to talk about themselves. You know, they'll, they'll blab for the entire hour about how great of a human being they are. Yeah. He does everything he can to not do that. The whole time he's actually trying to like put the focus back on you. And I remember just asking him about his childhood. He was heavily Christian. He was heavily Christian as a kid. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that actually manifested itself in the person that he is today. So I wouldn't say that that's what I'm saying when I'm saying somebody that isn't a prideful person. Um, somebody that thinks about others like, more and, than themselves. And like on top of that, like I think it's a major reason. There's other reasons as well, but like a major reason that he didn't come across well on camera is because something that like, you know, Paul Keating, for instance, super arrogant man, like very prideful man. Uh -huh. I love him. I think he's like a brilliant man, but like he's taking credit for fucking everything. The reason that we did so well in the 80s is purely because of that man, not the, de the entire department of the treasury, not all of the economists that they had there. It was him. He did yeah. the whole thing, you know? But if you're constantly being like, well, it's a big fucking multifaceted thing. I'm just one little part of it. Everyone's just going to tune out. Yeah. It doesn't grab people's attention as well in the modern media landscape. And I think a lot of people are searching for a, uh, what's the, what's the word they always use to describe? What's that word? They always use that. Anyway, I've forgotten, but, uh, they're looking for a leader. They're looking for someone they can not only trust, but someone who can fight for them. And so when someone cr comes across meek and too generous and too kind, they, they, they can, that can be interpreted as weakness. Yeah. And especially if you have a working class that feel like they have been hard done by and for very right reasons, they don't trust someone like, a, say, an a Obama or maybe even a, a Bill Shorten who is very kind and puts out this image that i'm loving and i'm compassionate they want someone to go in there and be kick some oh, ass and i'll fucking fight for these people <laughs> you know? yeah true so 
when conditions in a country are great, you're more likely to have a leader who exhibits uh, generous, kind qualities like that. But I think when conditions aren't so great, then you have those strongman Trump slash Hitler type figures. Or maybe it's when your population are a bunch of fucking sinners. Maybe it is like, you know, what was one of the main ones there? Uh, Envy. Okay. Envy, right? Like, it was kind of like what Jordan Peterson was saying about huge turn of events where there was a mass murder spree that happened afterwards. And he was looking at the economic reasons and he was saying, yeah, but there's really poor economic, uh, you know, results in, I don't know, Nepal, for instance, um, or Bhutan. Like, everyone there is poor. They have shitty economic conditions. They're not riding in the streets. Maybe it is that the population has this worldview of, like, externalizing everything onto other people. Like, it's like, that might be true that you're like life is that you're like getting fucked over. That might be true, Mm -hmm. but the way that you interpret that and what you should be doing is up to you. And if you're like society has somehow conditioned itself into thinking something like, you know, exactly what you're saying. of just been like, it's not fair. I'm fucked over. Cause I'll tell you something. I've been talking to a lot of farmers recently uh, that ain't fucked over. There's other farmers downstream that are seriously fucked over by those farmers because they're just damming up water. And so those farmers downstream have no water to fucking water their crops. And those ones up there have all the water. But you talk to those farmers that are up there and they're constantly complaining about how they don't have enough. And then you're just like, how much did you make last year? $40 million. But they like the whole time that they're talking to you, they're whinging. But because that's where... You come down to the, the the concept of the victim narrative, don't you? Because a victim narrative is extremely potent in justifying one's own immoral behavior. So if you have internalized that I'm a victim, I've been fucked over, I've been hard done by, well, then it's fine if I, I, I act harshly towards my neighbors because I've been hard done by. Mm. So I'm allowed to attack these people. Mm. Yeah, I'm mm. allowed to punch a quote-unquote Nazi because I'm victimized by the system. Mm. Yes. I'm allowed to bash a Muslim because the the elites have favored them over me. Mm. I'm the victim. Mm. So that's where it, it all comes down to a victim mentality. It does. It really fucking... But again, because what is a victim mentality? Well... Actually, it was Jordan Peterson again, but he was just kind of saying that, like, everyone on fucking planet Earth is kind of just like a complex thread of being a victim and an oppressor. Like, everyone on Earth is is like a weaved thread of those two things, Yes, and some more than others, and a compassionate person should be able to, well, at least try and observe that. And I think there is an ethical responsibility to take care of people who we see are victimized, but... To sit there and and put your hand up and say, "Look at me, I'm a, I'm so hard done by." It it's is funny. narcissistic. It's narcissistic. It's narcissistic. It's, but it's, it's again, it's a one of the fucking sins. Yeah, it's envy. I mean, when you, it, 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 it's 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 a nuanced conversation because I think when you're genu- when you genuinely need help, you 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 should be talking about it. 
Hmm? I mean, it, you know, there's a there's an extreme. You can you can bastardize an anti-victim mentality as well, right? So if someone's got a life-threatening disease and they say, "No, I'm not a victim. I'm fine." Like obviously, that's stupid. Hmm. So there are points when you do need to rely on others mm. to maybe save you, help you, talk to you, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, there, there, there's a limit to that anti-victim mentality thinking. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. But I would suggest that in modern society we've gone too far one way where we... But it's still a thing of like, dude, that person that you're talking about, yeah. they might have a terminal illness... And there's two people that sit on their deathbed. Apparently, there's the person that's like, I don't want to go. This, this is fucked. Why is this happening to me? Yeah. And then there's the other person that accepts it and is grateful for their life and then they die. Yeah. So, okay. even in that situation. Okay, sure, sure, sure. You can ask for help without having a victim mentality. You can still do it. Yeah. I mean, there are there still definitely instances, say, if a crime has been committed against you. If you truly, uh, if you take the anti-victim mentality to to an extreme point, you could say, well, that's just God is challenging me and I don't need to challenge them. Or you say, well, no, I need to actually call the police and this person needs to be punished. But you can do that without then externalizing, hopefully, I've never been in this position, but hopefully not externalizing whatever pain and misfortune you've experienced and then projecting that onto other people. Yeah. That's probably the key difference there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too. I think this is just a... It's just like I think the whole reason that everybody is talking about this victim mentality is, again, it's the sign of our times and it's the current form of narcissism that has been... Pandered and encouraged in people. Yeah. So, so maybe just like okay. like in the like seventies or something, where it was just like the self esteem movement was going, mm. and so that would have been like a version of pride, I suppose, of just like you're special, like you, like it, everyone's fucking amazing at everything. Mm. That that was a version of pride, right? The, now, now is constantly being stoked. Envy, envy is constantly being stoked. Mm. But yeah, I think that and it's social media like corporations are weaponizing that envy to massively, make profits. Massively. Uh, let me put this to you then. What if someone were to say, well, many, much of your ideology and the ideas you put out in your videos are essentially saying that the Labor Party in Australia are victims. Is that a victim mentality or is that a genuine, is that just genuine concern for an unfair system? Because then I would just say that there are instances where someone is rightful to claim a victimhood status. That's all. But I just think we need to be very careful about uh, uh, differentiating between genuine victimhood status and someone, I wouldn't say they're playing the victim because in their mind they genuinely feel like they're a victim and they would act out that victimhood. But there probably needs to be neutral observers and, and third parties that come in and uh, try to ascertain exactly what the extent of victimhood that's that's at play, if that makes sense. I suppose that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Yes, but then I would. But but what I'm saying is, there's that difference then be, between 
you are saying, well, you're attributing that victimhood to a unfair system and not just saying I'm a victim, therefore, or like this party's a victim, therefore they deserve things. You are trying to equalize that unfair system. Yeah, it's like I suppose there's... I look the the way to do it better then I guess is like you, you, there's a difference between analysis and opinion. I suppose what you're trying to do is offer analysis, and by offering as much analysis as you can, trying to figure a way out of that situation, as opposed to just sitting there and constantly bitching. Yeah, I think you definitely do the former. Because there are people in Newtown in share houses that just do the constant bitching. pitching without doing anything. But then but then that's where the victim mentality comes in, Bob, because the, we're in a fascist system. There's nothing wrong with me just hitting the bong all day and doing nothing with my life, whereas you're taking it upon yourself to make that difference. So there's no... That's not a victim mentality. That's, no, a, that's, a, that's a fighting for a righteous cause mentality. Yes, but the the thing that would be animating all of my work and man, like I've ever since I saw this, I've just been seeing it in everyone. I think it's a really good identifier is like, man, the videos of mine that do well, that people remember and they come up to me every fucking time. You know what it is? It's when I perceive that someone has wronged me and I pour my heart and soul into the response. And the reason I do is because my specific form of narcissism, my specific sin is wrath. Like I like I really am animated by revenge. Um then I've like I know other people around me, uh, like my girlfriend and Christo, who are thinking about it with them, and it's pride. Pride is the thing that animates them. It's kind of like one of those seven things mm. is kind of like it's it's alluring to you. It's your weakness. It's like as you soon as that happens, is. like it's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be, bro. It's gonna be a windy hell for me. <laughs> it's gonna be fucking hurricanes, bro. <laughs> as if that's not the most lovable. Okay, slothfulness. But after slothfulness, oh, well, like wait, lust. what is slothfulness? It's lazy. De- Just uh, like yeah, lazy people are kind of likable. Some yeah. There's a. Uh, I'm not, I don't think I'm. I think it's definitely lust is number one. <laughs> um, no, no, no. Sorry, I've no, got no, elements not for of you. No, no, I've got elements you. of all of them. Well, I think everyone's got elements of all, all of them. them. I'm not saying you have slothfulness. I'm saying you've got lust. You definitely fucking have that. But like <laughs> slothfulness, I'm saying like when when you find out it's that Indian, someone's bro. lazy. Yeah, yeah, it is. It fucking is. <laughs> like the entire subcontinent is animated by lust. <laughs> That's why there's a billion. <laughs> uh, what can you say? It is. Yeah. Um. No, no, I'm just saying, like, out of all of them, I really think that, like, wrath would be the least likable. And I think that slothfulness, slothful, when, when you find out that someone's kind of lazy, it's kind of a bit, well, it's like a sloth. Like, you don't really fucking hate a sloth. You, it's just you, lazy. If you need to depend on them, <laughs> you get very frustrated yeah. and annoyed. Yeah, but, like, there's always just something of, like, lazy. yeah, but they're lazy, so I kind of expect them to do it. Because then if, if if 
because then uh, there's a responsibility that lies on you to make up for their laziness. Or on a greater societal level, there's lazy people that then need to be taken care of by people who aren't lazy. Exactly. So it's like a burden on society. Yeah. That's why that is a sin. And it's kind of like, yeah, it's a slothfulness. What is that? It's just doing the easiest thing that you possibly can, which is to sit around and do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, could you say, because you've always talked about how you've identified certain potentially uh, negative impulses you may have and you've been able to coordinate those in ways that have been beneficial to your career in, in, in that you say your wrathfulness has, has been transformed into those aggressive and in, enthralling videos where you're attacking other people, but you're still exhibiting some form of wrath there, but it's a better conception of the wrath than, say, going in out going out on a Friday night and king hitting some cunt. <laughs> you, know, you know, so... <laughs> what, preemptive wrath? <laughs> well, I don't know. They look Just at, taking vengeance They look at them. your miso or something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Fuck, fuck, oh, fuck. <laughs> no, fuck, I'm having to cheat again, <laughs> bruh. No, I'm not going to jail again, cunt. <laughs> so even, okay, am I being prideful just in that depiction that I just, in putting down people from a certain sector of society with that accent because so i get we get i get messages occasionally uh critiquing our use of the uh stereotypically uh wog accent as always an expression of dumb ideas (laughs) and and is that not uh, could that not be interpreted as a form of pride saying well well the way as comedians the way we caricature certain archetypes we can do it either in a way that empowers them, or and this is where we're actually getting to the woke ideas of punching up versus punching down. We can we can we can um, paint uh, people and 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 sort of their values in a way that empowers them or empowers us over them. So if even in just my use of accent, there am I being prideful in implicitly saying I am better than people who go out on a Saturday and I'm like, I'm going to fuck punch someone, bro. Because you can get to a point where you're being so overly analytical, which is what I always do. If that's a sin, fuck. Overthinking. <laughs> that's, a, that's a sin, bro. Um, everything can be interpreted as one of those sins in some way or another. But, yes. Uh... Because at the end of the day, a lot of these things are just inherently human and another big part of religion is forgiveness now that doesn't mean striving to be that doesn't mean do not strive to be better because i'm sure most christians would say well just because salvation and forgiveness is offered doesn't mean that gives you license or some sort of insurance policy to just do whatever the fuck you want because well i'm going to be forgiven anyway bro yes (laughs) which is kind of kind of funny that's a funny joke idea but um uh there's also, again, I just keep saying, there's also like a very extreme bastardized, bastardized version of of seeing fault in every minute action, if, seeing moral fault in every minute action where it doesn't need to be seen. Well, I think that's it, man. It's just like when you do, when we do the wog accent, how much damage is that doing in the world? Well, some would argue because of the 
audience and the influence we have, though it may not be expressive, clear damage, it's uh, still maintaining. Oh, I'm going to sound so woke here, but that this is it's maintaining a an idea that's prevalent that degrades a certain ethnic group. And so though we're not adding to any uh, damage, we're perpetuating an idea that continually damages. Here's my retort to that, though. BuzzFeed right here, bro. Yeah, such a BuzzFeed (laughs) argument. I'm just playing devil's advocate. But this is what those fucking BuzzFeed journalists don't understand, which is that when we are doing the WOG accent, we and the audience might be thinking, yeah, they're dumb. But just because someone's dumb doesn't mean you don't like them. Like, but the, why do you think they're dumb? Just because they speak differently. Because yeah, the accent sounds stupid. That's like what, that like, a, that's why that's being used, right? But like, but that's subjective. Because if you grew up in a society where everyone spoke like that, then you'd think our accent sounds stupid. Yes, to us from our cultural like upbringing, yes, that's how it is. Yeah. It's like actually what Chomsky talks about with language, where he says that. Um, if, you know, hillbillies were CEOs, like people with that, like, southern drawl accent, if they were CEOs in Manhattan, everybody would think that having that, like, how did you y'all, like, that accent would be, like, <laughs> high English. <laughs> so it's, it's even... In- it's even just in the little pauses and the way your face changes when you when you say that accent. That's what it means to be a comedian. You do have a lot of power, I think. So it's so easy to just denigrate or for it to be perceived as denigration when it's just a simple flick of the eye, for example. Like the people who talk like, oh, yeah, hell, you're gone, but like. Yeah, and yeah, automatically yeah, yeah, it sounds yeah. like you're putting them down. Whereas if you say, "I'm really admiring the the," it's hard to do the voice, but it's like, "Hey, buddy, how's it going, bro?" Like, well, they wouldn't say "bro," but they would now. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Yeah. That's not as admonishing. Even just there, my facial expression and everything. It's, 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 I don't know. This is just a bit of a tangent, but it's just really interesting. But it's not as comedic though. It's not as That's comedic. True. Well, it's actually just then, not that comedic. And yeah. You know why? It's because inclusive. you're not actually fucking denigrating anyone. Like, if you're going to laugh, Some... you are putting someone down. Yeah, but the, yeah, the, the yeah. whole thing is that, like, I think a truly masterful comedian puts someone down in such a way that is just harmless and is... Well, and... it's the difference between a satirist and a comedian, but don't you think that the biggest... Okay, mm. you know your joke? I don't know why this one always sticks in my head. I think it's just because it was just like, it was something that you identified that I hadn't thought about in fucking years, which was just your like, do you remember MySpace bit? Dude, MSN. I'm sorry, sorry, MSN. Yeah. You are paying out everyone in the audience, including yourself. Yeah. Because it's just like- We were- It's an inclusive sort of, we were- dumb how we did that yeah but we? you're paying people out that's yeah. the, that's the yeah, essence ag- of humor it's all ag- of it is there yeah it's an aggressive point of view in some ways but there's no harm in it and like afterwards mm. it like i felt happy because i remembered that sure. moment of life itself so yeah i'm again i'm playing devil's advocate here i know there's a lot of people who would actually admire uh 
a, a, an authentic uh, portrayal of a certain cultural group. And that shows in the audiences we have. The demographic of my audience is one of, if not the most diverse in Australia mm. compared to the other comedians that are supposedly the, you know, the, the woke ones. Yeah, uh, it would be the most diverse in terms of when you go to your show, there's a lot of Indians, Asians, whites and libs. And it's very, it's pretty 50-50 gender split. Yeah. I'd say it's the, the only unique demographic. It's generally people in their 20s. Well, now it's sort of you'd get 16 to 36, but generally still people in their mid or early 20s. Mm. Uh, so it's, maybe it's not age diverse, but that's mm. that's it. Uh, anyway, the point I'm trying to make is when you are um, when you are depicting groups accurately and authentically, what people don't understand is the extreme versions of a group are also laughed at within that group. So if you're laughing at the extreme Wog impression or the Lebanese impression, a lot of people within those cultural groups are also laughing at that extreme impression because they notice that more than anyone. Mm. And they think that archetype is hilarious because mm. it's the extreme version of that. It's the same when Aussies laugh at uh, just, just caricatures of Australians and, and bogans. Because we all know, well, we're not all actually like that, but we're able to laugh at that extreme version. Mm. And we know people who are like that. Whereas mm. what an outsider might think is that, oh, you're just laughing at all Australia. Oh, you're just denigrating all Australia. Oh, you're denigrating all of that cultural group. No, no, no. You're, you're, you're denigrating the, well, the bastardized version of that cultural group. Mm. The mm. person who's taken it to the... And there's something also paradoxical ex- in psychology, and I don't know what it is. But when you pay someone out, it can be endearing. It can can be endearing, but you're also connecting with them. It's a. It actually is a tool of connection Mm, because it 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 shows that you don't think you're above them. Nor it depends how you. No, it can can show that you're above them. It. I think. uh, Okay, so there's. There's a put-down, which is a social example of someone almost acting out a, a mini form of tyranny almost. It's just, I'm above you and I'm going to make fun of you or mock you. And then there's someone who's never willing to make fun or question someone, which is a form of, what well, if it's insecurity almost, it's, hey, you're above me. But then there's that Goldilocks level of, I'll crack a joke with you even at your expense, but I know you can take it because it's a clever and astute observation. And that, yeah, you're right. That is a very apt form of social connection. Yeah. It has to hit that sweet spot. That's the key thing, yeah. And that's the social intelligence skill. It has to hit that sweet spot. But the thing is, every time I've ever been around a liberal Turk and used that accent, they laugh. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you know, and 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 <laughs> the times that they haven't, like the ones that came up to you in the van, they're fucked. They're like, <laughs> they're oh, like fuck, scary, fucking awful people. Because they're like, the ones I'm making fun of. No, but you're making fun of other lebs that are like, ha ha ha. We do sound like that. An excellent repost. You know, they are fine with that accent. Yeah, because they're kind of just normally well-adjusted people. It's always people on. You know what I've noticed when people are always saying that, uh, you know, like, oh, my God, these these people can't handle it and this group can't handle it. 
I think there's a phrase, I can't remember what it is. It's something along the lines of like the tyranny of low expectations, which is a great oh, phrase. Oh, the bigotry of low expectations. Bigotry yeah, of low expectations. Oh, yeah, that's a great phrase. It's a great phrase. There's that. But also the people within that group that are offended, you know how we're always saying like usually it's actually white people that are offended. So they're not even part of the group, as you were saying, that it's like externalized. But the people that are offended by that in the group and I would say the white people as well that are offended by that, all of them are just examples of maladjusted people. They're not mm. fucking there. Like that's why like it's so easy to make fun of hipsters because everyone recognizes that they're bad people. Mm-hmm. You know? So again, is is that not a could that be construed as a form of pridefulness? Well, just I saying think here's, this is a group of people that are bad people. I, I think mine is uh an example of wrath than pride because like okay being smug and being like ha 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 these people are dumber than me that's smug but like i'm always putting <laughs> it in my I, head yeah so i've got pride as you well. got pride, Lost right? pride well everyone fucking has pride <laughs> what is, what's the level of hell for pride i can't remember what happened in dante's inferno to pride oh i think it could be the level where doesn't this sound awful you're like morphed into like some kind of half tree half being in like a really uncomfortable position for Uh, all eternity that you can't move uh, from is that is that uh you know the universe humbling you by saying well now be proud of this or (laughs) or it could have been the level it could have been it could be that one or it could be one where it's like constantly fucking raining. It's going to be windy and rainy in my house. Shit. And sludgy. <laughs> anyway, we... Uh, Should be looking into that, yeah. Yeah. Probably got to wrap this one up. Man, that one was... That's one of my favorite podcasts we've ever done. How, how long did that one go for? An hour... Hour 17. Right. Ish. Yeah, it's it's a... That's what I'm saying, right? Like, it's just, it's a good framework to look at life in. It's just ancient wisdom. And that's what I think that... Uh, there you go. It's it's one, it's one. something that Tony Robbins says all the time, that in this day and age, everyone's drowning in information, but they're starving for wisdom. Mm. Seven Deadly Sins is a perfect example of that. It's timeless. It just goes to the root of human beings and what's wrong with them. You're not... You're, yeah, i got to watch this film now because... It's a deep film, man. I do sometimes yearn for... Well, for structure and direction that I don't have to come up with myself in this uh, completely secular, hyper-rational world. And religion does give you a clear... Clear guidelines and a clear structure to live your life. So sometimes I do wonder, well, even if I do have these qualms with these ancient texts of wisdom, should I just try and live through them? Because at least then I don't have to keep having these existential crises and thinking about what the most righteous and moral way to conduct myself is. Which is something that you hear from people that... Uh, um, religious, you hear this all the time, 
And it's very easy to be snarky about this, but what a happy place to live in where they say, I just let God sort out everything. I don't want to think about that. I just trust in God. It does divert a lot of angst. It is why the average Christian is a lot happier than the average atheist, and that's proven. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the statistics are uh, very clear on that. Yeah. Much happier, greater life satisfaction, uh, greater chance of marriage success, although there's a lot of shame associated with divorce and things like that. Uh, More likely to be charitable. Just all sorts of statistics that farewell for... If you are then just taking a rational view of just ideas and wisdom to live by without even necessarily having faith, you can just look at those statistics and think, well, there's there's clearly something there. There's clearly there's, something there's there. There's something there. Now, how do you know when you're, if you're, uh, if you are an atheist, at what point is it the baby and at what point is it the bathwater? That's... I guess, to to just summarize where my mind is on that. Yeah, look, I'm just saying it's definitely possible to be an extremely generous, nice, well-rounded atheist. In fact, I would imagine that it's, you know, it you've got more scope to do it because you're kind of just starting from like a ground zero base and you, I guess you're just looking at it naturally from a more scientific mindset. But Man, I gotta say, the average Christian that I've met, just just raw numbers. There's been a lot of cunt Christians that I've met in my life. There's been a lot of sick atheists that I've met in my life. But on average, Christians are better people. Oh yeah, cannot argue that. On average, without a doubt. Yeah, and it's just because the things like this are ingrained into their mind as children. They kind of do have some kind of navigation system through life. And it's like, and and what I'm saying is it's it's deeper than what self-help gives you. Oh, yeah. And it's such a huge weight off your shoulders. Yeah. There's definitely a few Christians that you think, they're not bad people, but you're like, you're, you're, you know, maladjusted. You're a bit strange. But that could be me being judgmental and prideful. Yeah. That's definitely true as well. There is. and But like, all I can say is I can just go back to the example of Dome Kang. Like, when he wasn't a Christian, he was a terrible, terrible sinner. And sometimes I lay awake at night thinking, have you murdered someone? It's You know when you meet certain people and you think, you're fucking capable of that. I'm not saying that he has done it, but there's something in his eyes and there's something in the way he behaves that's so erratic and just so surprising uh-huh. and, and can go into very dark places that you think mm. you have that in you. Whereas when you meet most people, you think there's, you couldn't imagine a scenario where most people would be murdering someone. But then there's other people where you think, yeah, I could, I could picture it. He's in that boat, right? Wow. And so that was the kind of person that he was. He put Christianity over the top of himself. He's a very boring man now. But he's also a functioning member of society that has a held down job and in his own small way contributes. And I think that that's a lot better than the alternative, 
which was just a completely destructive being to himself and others. Yeah. It improved him. Yeah. Oh. Well, if we... Where we could, I say, where you can dispute some of the new atheists, for example, is can you make a sort of consequentialist argument for religion and say it does more good than harm? And I would, I haven't researched this or anything, but it's intuitively it it seems likely that it would do more good than harm. I think so. I think on the great balance of things, people are going to point to things like, you know, oh, what about the pedophilia that's rife in the church? No one's saying that it's, it's, it's a perfect structure, dude. But I am saying that the reason that you're literate is because of the fucking church. Like, they, they, <laughs> yeah, they, well, throughout the entire Dark Ages period, they were the ones keeping literacy afloat. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, well, when you give are- and take... The old adage is, you, you know, you turn to God when you're at your lowest and societies and cultures that are at their lowest tend to then turn to religion. Yeah. Dude, that's where, again, I can't keep on, but I think Kanye's going to win, man. Like, America's at a very low point it's a low culturally. Ebb. It's a low Whether ebb. it's Kanye or not, in our lifetime, there will be a, re- a, a highly religious Republican president. I'll definitely put, I, I'll put that on the table. Yeah. Hand, whether it's your Cruz or even a Rubio, that's sort of a very, you know, someone who really champions the, the, that evangelical Christianity more so than any other American president at least for the last 50, 60 years. Well, you know, actually, this is insane, just as a little history tidbit, but George Bush Sr. was way more zealotly religious than everybody thought. The reason that he was yeah, funding okay. Israel, like it, uh, Chomsky was talking about it and he was just saying that he thought, because this just seemed so pie in the sky when he heard it, that it was just a weird little conspiracy theory. But then he saw the documents for it. The reason that he was funding Israel is because there's a sect in the Bible, I think, or one of the other books that surrounds it, that says that uh, the end of the world will be brought about when Jews are let back into Jerusalem and that will bring about Judgment Day, which is when all the Christians will ascend to heaven. And so he was funding Israel because he wanted Judgment Day to happen. Like he was a very fucking okay. religious man. Well, maybe not in the last 50 years. Then a, maybe openly because he probably wouldn't have... Yeah, he was. He, he wouldn't have said that exactly. Publicly, yeah, yeah. But like you're saying, somebody who says that. I mean, dude, for fuck's sake, the vice president was pretty much there. Yeah, Pence is pretty close to what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, because you've also got the uh, Hispanic migrant population is quite religious. But see, here's the rub, though, because they are two different sects of Christianity, where the Hispanics are Catholic. Yes, but but they're much more likely to vote for an evangelical than they are for a supposedly you know uh progressive pro lgbt pro trans or what i don't know whatever they think in true their that like they're, they're much, true that. Vote, even a catholic will vote for because yeah there's a big split there when you actually st- talk to christians there's a huge difference in all the different sects of christianity mm. in fact a lot of them just don't think that's even christianity the what? Well, I don't know if it's Protestants or Evangelists. I don't know the exact details of each of them, but um, 
my friend who is non-denominational, I don't think he's even Anglican or Protestant, but he thinks Catholicism isn't even real Christianity. Really? Yeah. I thought Catholicism was getting close to being the most old school one. No, like, it he, he says it's uh, it's a total misinterpretation of the Bible. Oh, yeah, I would imagine that you could say not... there's a misinterpretation of it. but Yeah. Right, okay, so that's what he's saying. It's a misinterpretation of it. Well, it was really designed. This is this is the other thing that I suppose is... To... You know, Jordan Peterson has this sick point about it where he's saying that Christianity is wrought with a bunch of inherent problems in it, but it was used as a mechanism of soothing worse problems. I suppose that's what I'm just observed with my friend is that on, on a micro level, but on a macro level, that's what was happening to the Roman Empire when they put mm. Catholicism onto it to the point that Attila the Hun marched a massive army of, I think, 300,000 Huns, some of the most bloodthirsty people on earth, to Rome when it was completely undefended. They could have gone in, sacked it for days, been richer beyond their wildest dreams, and the Pope came out, talked to him for three days, or three hours, I think it was three days, and then Attila the Hun just went back to the steppes of Asia. Well, how, wait, how did it. they even converse? Did they have translators? or did Maybe. But the thing was that they were Catholic, mm. well, they were Christian. And so, like, it had the power to turn away armies. Yeah, it actually wow. made the world a more peaceful, stable place. Yeah. Well, that's why there's there's so much... Uh... There's a lot of conflict even within the Christian community about people who outwardly claim to be Christian, whether or not they are. For example, in America, your classic idea of a conservative is someone who loves God but also loves their guns. Mm. And and that, as an outside observer, that just seems to work uh, as a contradiction because the main... Well, I again, I'm, not a, I'm obviously not a scholar in this by any means, but... One of the main predominant messages throughout, well, most of the religious texts, if anything, is, is non-violence. But how does that person identify themselves? Because they would definitely be saying, I'm a Christian, but they'll also be saying, I'm an American. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But then there's just, you know, there's some sort of cognitive dissonance going yeah. on there. But that's because People are like walking ch- into churches with AK-47s. There's some cognitive there's dissonance <laughs> there. That, I don't know. Again... You're not meant to. I'm clearly not a Christian because I'm here judging everyone, <laughs> but it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Although in their rationally, minds, yeah, it doesn't make victim, sense rationally. You know but what? it's a victim mentality. What? Because they're like, oh, our faith is under attack. We have to defend it with violence. Yeah, they are an extremely fearful nation. So it's 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 again it's it's a justification of what would otherwise be an unethical action, but it's because I'm, and we are a vi- a, a group of victims. Yeah. I mean, there's also then the argument of well, I want to defend myself and not 
have to w- rely on the state to do that. I and mean, there's all sorts of semantics you can get into there. But but the thing is that it's like the reason that there is that conflict happening there is because there's two belief systems at place that yeah. that person yeah. is identifying with. And so they're just like living that contradiction because those are the things that they identify as. Yeah. I so, mean, yeah, go on. If If you were to pick one of them, It's it's just like, I can't imagine a Catholic priest in the US ever bringing in an AK-47. I think he would vaguely identify as, a, as, as an American. <laughs> what? Maybe not into, probably not into the church, but when they go home, they've probably got their guns. Maybe as like a thing of defense, right? Like just some some pistol under the bed. But like I'm talking about a real, like somebody who just identifies okay. as a man of sure, God sure, sure. Yeah. as opposed to like a proud American. Yeah. Well, there you, you even have with people who are on the progressive cultural left. I think there's a huge amount of cognitive dissonance within their own identity because it's all about tolerance and compassion and love. But then it's just total gaslighting because they say these things and then as soon as someone has, I mean, this is just your classic trope of any boomer on Facebook, but it's it's true. As soon as you have even a nuanced and clever different opinion, or at least what I can, and it's not my opinion, but people who are critics of that progressive ideology, intellectual critics, they smear them. They don't tolerate them. They don't love them. They don't show them compassion. In fact, they, they justify in some instances, violence towards them because in their warped view of the world, the economic system of governance is a form of violence against certain groups of people. So they are actually acting in self-defense. So again, it's a victimhood narrative, but on a very, very collective level. Yeah. Oh, no, that is definitely a very good example of that. But this is the whole thing. It's just like, I think this is something that, Look, I'm a contradiction in myself in that I really like labels on a psychological level. Yeah. But I really fucking hate labels on a societal level because this is the same thing. This is just like the the people that I'm currently raging with at the moment, how they're just like, oh, I'm... uh," This this will become apparent in a couple of months or like a month, but... (laughs) Keen to see it, One of the fucking messages that they sent me was just like... they're, They're promoters... And one of the messages they sent was like, I'm anti-racism, but I'm also uh, pro-freedom of speech and the, the importance of comedy and anti-cancel culture. Well, well, you can't have it all, dickhead. You can't be both. Yeah. You can't be fucking both. You either agree with freedom of speech or you think that like racism is a problem that needs to be cancelled. You can't. You know, like, and especially if you're stopping someone from going on stage, you're fucking cancelling someone. So I'm just saying you're that, not like, all of these freedom of speech. Then, yeah, you're not. Like, it's just like, but people just say these things, and they don't understand the contradictions in their heads ever. Yes. People want to appease everyone. 
and be socially desirable because I think there's I mean, a lot of people who just... They want to sound good. Yes, they, they're not sure what the best thing to say is. <laughs> so they're trying <laughs> to say both. He's like, I want everyone to like me, so I'm going to take this like middle ground. Whereas, no, now you're the most disliked. But just die on your... <laughs> at, at least I'd respect someone. I'd respect someone more if they just said, this is my definition of racism and and it's a, it's, it's a, it's a symptom of an oppressive system that leads to violence and therefore i need as a moral person i believe i need to silence you in order to protect vulnerable people but if they tow this middle ground this fence sitting bullshit of well i'm i like them i don't like racism but i also like this Mm. no i'd respect someone more if they just said one side or the other way more yeah way more everybody does the worst yeah everyone hates mealy mouth fuck man yeah, we do have to wrap this one up, but oh, sorry, sorry, oh sorry. man, I think that was my that I think was our my favorite podcast we've done. That one was a really good discussion. Well, it's almost we're almost at twenty minutes. We've got twenty minutes left. Um, two parter. What did you want to talk about? Oh, we could do a two parter. Hey, what did you? What was your topic? I wanted to talk about. Um, No, we'll end this one here. Okay. No, it's uh, <laughs> very professional. <laughs> <laughs> Probably won't even tell the editor to cut that out. Keep it in there. Keep it authentic. Whatever. I think. Tell me in the. Tell us in the comments if you like a little banter about our production banter. Bickering, <laughs> not even banter. Bickering. <laughs> yeah. All right. See you next week, guys. <laughs> Bye.